Thanks for joining us for the Covenant Living Broadcast with Pastor John Butler of Covenant Life Church, located at 130 Atlantic Avenue in Bremen, Georgia. On today's broadcast, Pastor John Butler speaks from the subject of the cycle of fear. And now, here is today's broadcast. Some of you will be thrilled to know that I'm reading from the 21st century King James Version this morning. Hallelujah. John 10 and 10. Jesus said this, The thief cometh not. There you go. There's you a, there's you a King James word. The thief cometh not but to steal and to kill and to destroy. I am come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy, but Jesus says, I am come that you may have life and have it more abundantly. Lord, I pray that you would add your blessing and your anointing to the reading and the hearing of your word today. God, I pray that you would take my mouth and you'd speak your words through it. And Lord, may we be changed. May we be changed and healed and delivered and set free as a result of your word today. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. Every good and perfect gift, James says, comes down from our Heavenly Father. Do you believe that? That's James 1 and 17. He has prepared these gifts for us. He's, he's given them to us. Our hopes, our dreams, fulfilling, having fulfilling relationships, meaningful jobs, a purposeful life. Those are gifts that the Father in heaven has prepared for us. But there is a tyrant on the loose who tries to separate you from those gifts. And that tyrant is fear. It's fear. Everything you want is on the other side of your fear. I want you to think about that for just a moment. Everything that you want is on the other side of your fear. Every good and perfect gift, every promise, every blessing. Just as surely as we have a Father who provides these things for us, we also have an enemy who tries to steal them from us. Jesus came to give us an abundant life. Isn't that what the Word says? But the enemy comes to steal and kill and destroy. And the number one weapon he uses to keep us from those promises is fear. That tyrant stands between us and them with fear. But I've got good news for you. The good news of the gospel is that he is a defeated foe. Yes, he's an enemy, but he's a defeated enemy. The devil has been disarmed by Jesus on the cross. And I want to show it to you in Colossians chapter 2 and verse 15. It's a, it's a, um, it's, it's, it's a powerful and rich imagery here in this verse. But it says, in this way, he disarmed the spiritual rulers and authorities. Well, who's that? That's the devil and those who, who work for him. In this way, he disarmed, took their weapons away, the spiritual rulers and authorities. He shamed them publicly 
by his victory over them on the cross. He didn't just beat them, he talked smack to them. <laughs> he did. He publicly humiliated the enemy, took their weapons away, and then laughed in their face. Listen, the enemy's still on the battlefield, but he has no weapons. He has no weapons, so he has to use fear and intimidation to make you think he does. But listen, the moment you stop feeding the fear is the moment the fear stops having a hold on you. It's a false weapon. It's a weapon that's empowered by us. We've got to learn to stop giving the devil power in our lives. See, I want the blessings God has for me. I want the promises. I want the gifts that God has prepared for me. The, the, the devil is never going to stop trying to scare us. Never going to stop trying to intimidate and interfere with us. So we'd better figure out how to stop letting him do that to us. Why aren't we walking in peace? Why aren't we walking in victory? Why aren't we standing on, as the hymn says, standing on the promises of God? Why aren't we fulfilling our destinies and using our gifts and advancing the kingdom? And I think there's a one-word answer. For most people, it's fear. It's fear. There's an epidemic of fear in the church. We see all that God has for us, but we're afraid to go get it. It's fear of failure. It's fear of disappointment. It's fear of putting yourself out there and getting hurt. It's fear of the unknown. Or maybe the scariest of all, it's the fear that we might actually not be in control. <laughs> fear is a tyrant who tries to control you. But we have to learn, first of all, to recognize the fear, know what it is when it happens, and secondly, to conquer it. To conquer the fear so that we can see His kingdom come and His will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So we can walk in the blessings and in the abundant life that Jesus came to give us on this earth. So today I want to start a series. It's called Jezebels and Giants. Jezebels and Giants, Breaking the Tyranny of Fear. I want to use two different accounts, obviously. One uh, of the account of Elijah and Jezebel, and one the account of David and Goliath. Two different accounts in the Bible to illustrate this cycle of fear and, 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 and to discover the steps that we can take to break that cycle and replace it with God's victory. Now, some of the information about the cycle of fear that I'll be sharing comes from a devotion that I heard a couple of years ago from uh, Pastor Jeff Dawes at the Stockbridge, Christian, uh, Stockbridge Community Church. So I can't take credit for every detail of this. Um, I don't know where he got it from originally, but it was really good stuff. And I remember it happened at the perfect moment in my life. You know how God does you. He puts you in the right place at the right time to hear the right word for you. And, and I remember when I was hearing about this, I was thinking, this, I've got to preach this. this got to, I've got to develop this into a, into a series because this is a powerful word that will set some people free when we understand it in the context in, in which God intended it to, to be understood. So, so here's, the, here's the, uh, the series today, Jezebels and Giants. And, and listen, I think this is perfect timing. I pray that in, towards the end of each year, in the fall of each year, I start praying about the following year 
so that, I can, so, so that I can get some ideas about where God's taking us as a congregation, what I need to preach, where I feel like the holes are in our foundation. And, and so I start preparing some series, some things that God's laid on my heart for the following year. This series has been on my calendar for several months. But I had not looked ahead to see what was coming. You know, sometimes you just put your nose to the grindstone and it's all you can do to get one week ready before you have to get another week ready. So I had not looked at the calendar. Um, then last week in the 11 o'clock service, some of you were there uh, and some of you weren't. But, but the Spirit broke out and in, in in, in ministered to people for almost an hour uh, at, the end of, at the end of worship and there were people that were, that were being delivered and just really ministered to. But that altar call started at the end of worship. When I came up to do the transition, I actually did a transition and I walked off the platform and then God just, just hit me over the head and I walked back on the platform and I said, some of you are stuck. You're stuck. You've been in the same place for so long, emotionally, spiritually, whatever it is, you're stuck. And today's the day to get unstuck. And so the, the Spirit called people to the altar. I didn't get a chance to preach the, the message that I preached to you last week in the 9 o'clock, that when, even when it hurts, it's home. And the interesting thing is, God, God preached my sermon for me in the hearts of the people who were here in the 11 o'clock service, and they responded to the altar call without having to hear the message. No, you don't get to do that every week, so you have to endure the message. But I think it's perfect timing because do you know what gets people stuck and keeps people stuck? Fear. It's fear. So when I looked at the, looked at the preaching calendar to see what, what I had planned, and I always, just, I always double check and verify with the Lord if it still feels like this is the right thing to do. And I was like, that's God's timing right there to follow up this move of God with this foundational teaching. So you all ready to dethrone the tyrant of fear in your life today? All right, so today we're going to talk about the cycle of fear, and we're going to go to 1 Kings, 1 Kings chapter 19. 1 Kings chapter 19. So Jezebel sent this message to Elijah. Now Jezebel is the, is, is the wife of King Ahab, so she's the queen. Elijah's the prophet of God. Jezebel sent this message to Elijah, May the gods strike me and even kill me, if by this time tomorrow I've not killed you just as you killed them. That's the prophets, her false prophets that she had working for her. Um, and, and Elijah had slaughtered them. So verse 4 says, Then he went on alone into the wilderness, traveling all day. In verse 4, He sat down under a solitary broom tree. Listen, the prophet of God prayed that he might die. I have had enough, Lord. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand if you've ever prayed anything similar to this. I've had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life. I am no better than my ancestors who have already died. Now, verse 9. I'm going to pick up a little bit further. There he came to a cave where he spent the night. But the Lord said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? Elijah replied, I have zealously served the Lord God Almighty, but the people of Israel have broken their covenant with you torn down your altars, and killed every one of your prophets. I'm the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me too. Everything you want is on the other side of your fear. Now, what did Elijah want? Elijah wanted what every true prophet of God wants. He wanted people to return to God. He wanted them to turn their hearts and their lives back to God. 
he had challenged them with a question. He'd called the people of Israel together and challenged them with a question. He said, how long will you halt or how long will you hobble between two opinions, between two gods? He said, make a decision today. You either follow God today or you never follow him again, but it's time to make a decision. So he took them on Mount Carmel and he, he had a showdown with the, uh, with the false prophets. And God answered, you remember this, this is a fantastic account. God answered by fire from heaven. He, he, led, he, he led them to this showdown and God showed out. The power of God showed up. Everybody saw the power of God. And, and, and the, they killed the false prophets. Everything seemed to be going his way, going the way he had hoped it would go. He just knew he was riding this wave and this revival would sweep across Israel and they'd turn their hearts back to the Lord. And he got back to town and he got this one message from Queen Jezebel. I'm going to kill you. I'm going to kill you. And so it begins. The cycle of fear begins. And here's step one. It's the doomsday scenario. The doomsday scenario. Something happens. So maybe something unexpected happens, like it did with Elijah, and your mind kicks into overdrive. You imagine the worst. You, you, you take it to its farthest extreme. The sky is falling. That's what happened with Elijah. He, he thought things were going God's way, and then he gets this threat from Jezebel. She's going to kill me. But look what his mind does with it. She's going to kill me. I am going to die. My life is over. God is going to be forgotten in Israel. His people's going to be lost God's going to be a laughing stock of the world. I must, I must be the worst prophet in the history of prophets. You know, his name's going to be disrespected and mocked. I am going to be the prophet of record when God finally falls off the throne of Israel and fails his chosen people. Good job, Elijah. You're a total failure. You had one job and you blew it. Does that sound familiar? For parents, your child gets a sniffle, and by the time your mind finishes, you've sprinted right past the flu, and now that poor baby got the bubonic plague. He's got only moments to live, right? <laughs> or you say, I, I know the doc said it's strep, but what if it's one of those antibiotic-resistant strains of fungus or something? He's going to be in the hospital for weeks, and they're going to have to cut off his limb. I mean, you know, y'all... Don't look at me like y'all hadn't done that kind of stuff. Your mind immediately goes to the worst possible outcome, the doomsday scenario. For students, you fail one test. One, I've seen it as a teacher. Give the papers back. Completely lose their mind. Puddle up in the floor. <gasps> you know, you lose one test. And, and, and the next thing you know, you, in your mind, you're dropping out of school. You're living on the streets. Or maybe worse, you're living in your parents' basement for the rest of your life. You're never going to have a job. You know, single people. That one person rejects your invitation to go out. Or, like, turns, down, turns you down on the dating app or whatever it is y'all do these days, you know. And, and, and within minutes, you know, in your mind, you're destined to die single and alone and miserable that you're unloved and unlovable, you must be hideously unattractive, you know, your mind just goes crazy. For pastors, it's like this, you know. I preached that message today, nobody responded. 
I made that announcement. Nobody seemed to care. Nobody signed up. I guess that's it. They're, fine. They're tired of me. They're tired of me. They're going to rebel against me, and probably next time I'm in the pool, they'll shout me down. And you know, I'm going to show up at the office this week. They'll have changed all the locks, and they call the state office for a replacement. You know, your mind just your mind just does that to you. That's the first step of the fear cycle. It's the doomsday scenario. Do you see why the enemy loves this so much? You see why he loves that so much? Because while he's got believers running around like a bunch of sanctified chicken littles, absolutely nothing is getting done for the kingdom of God. You, don't, you can't. You don't have the mental focus or the emotional energy to deal with doomsday and do something for the kingdom of God. So he uses this doomsday scenario and it gets fear's hooks deep into your lip. And he's reeling you in, but he's not done with you. So here's the second step. After the doomsday scenario, then your perception gets distorted. Perception gets distorted. In this step, you begin to see evidence. You see my air quotes there? Evidence to back up your doomsday scenario. And most of the time, this evidence that you see is either misrepresented or it never existed in the first place. Because listen, fear provides the glasses that, that will help you perceive what it wants you to believe. Fear gives you the glasses to make you see what it wants you to believe, but those glasses are always tinted. They make everything the color of fear. So Elijah starts thinking about the possibilities regarding Jezebel's threat. Now, is she a powerful and formidable woman? Of course she is. But listen to this. In the last 24 hours, God had answered his prayer by fire, had given him the power to kill several hundred false prophets with the sword. He had, God had opened up the heavens and let it rain after a three and a half year drought because of Elijah's prayer. And he gave him the supernatural speed to outrun a chariot back to the city from the mountain. That was just in the last 24 hours in Elijah's life. I would say from the outside looking in that if God wanted him to survive the threat of this woman, he didn't have much to worry about. But this doomsday scenario is playing out in his head. right? So maybe he's walking down the street and every shady looking character he passes he thinks is an undercover assassin sent by Jezebel. Right? Or, or maybe he sees a soldier and he imagines that she's getting an army together to come after me. Or maybe he sees them building something on the side of the road and he imagines it's the gallows from which his body will be hanging in the next 24 hours. So from war one threat, he goes from zero to a hundred instantly in his mind. And now he's imagining the evidence that he needs to convince himself that her threat is not only real, but it's a done deal. It's going to happen. So when you get to this point, fear has, has distorted your perception to the point that you ignore all the evidence to the contrary and you start imagining exactly what fear wants you to see. Notice how it works in our lives. You see that look on her face? I knew it. She hates me. Did you see that red spot on his arm? Google says there's always a red spot before the plague kicks in. Right? Oh my goodness, did you see how stressed the boss looks? I bet he's trying to figure out which one of us to let go. 
Did, did you see the way my husband looked when he walked in the door? He's having an affair. I can just tell by the look on his face. Did you see that nasty look my teacher gave me when she walked in? I knew I failed that test. And now not only did I fail this test, but now she hates me, so I'll never be able to pass another test ever in her class. Your fear has distorted your perception to the point that you can find evidence for almost anything Almost anywhere. And when you do, it leads you straight into the third stage of the cycle of fear, and that's body signals. Your body starts telling you that you're afraid. There is a physiological response to fear that happens, it just happens automatically. Your heart rate increases. Your stomach might ache or get upset. You might clench your jaw. Your, your mouth might go dry. You might get short-tempered with people. Blood pressure goes up. Your body temperature increases. Your face gets flushed. And can't you see that happening to Elijah in this passage? He, 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 he ran into the wilderness and then just fell asleep under a tree somewhere. He was so exhausted, probably from the increased heart rate and all the other physical attributes of fear that he was experiencing. And he went by himself. He left his servant in, a, in another city and went by himself. Can't you imagine how short-tempered he had become? No, I don't want you to go with me. I want you to stay here and do what I told you to do. Right? The fear has taken over. You ever experienced those kinds of symptoms walking into a meeting? You ever woke up in the middle of the night sweating, heart racing, your thoughts are going 90 miles an hour? That's fear. It's fear. I woke up one day this week, and it's always because when you start preparing the Word, you start experiencing the stuff, right? I woke up one day this week, and my brain, honestly, it was searching for something to worry about. I, I felt my brain going, you know, we, we got enough money in the account? Is everything okay? Are the kids okay? Is the church okay? I, started, I was going through this checklist in my mind, desperate for something to be afraid of. And if I could have hit myself in the head to stop that, I probably would have. Like 3 o'clock in the morning. Once your body reaches this level, I mean, we've we got to start recognizing it. You've got to recognize it so you can do something about it. Because if you don't see it and you don't, see, you don't understand what's going on, you'll never conquer it. You'll be a victim of it for the rest of your life. So once your body reaches this level, then the next step comes pretty, pretty quickly and pretty naturally. It's panic or procrastination. Panic or procrastination. Elijah went fleeing into the wilderness. He panicked, freaked out, ran into the woods. Parents go flying to the ER in the middle of the night or to the doctor's office. Pastors all over the country resign every Monday morning. <laughs> Many of them, seriously, I've called the state office on Monday and they're like, Are you resigning? No, I'm not resigning. I've got a question. Let me deal with the resigning pastors and I'll call you back. Right? Every Monday morning they leave. And a lot of them leave behind a congregation that loved them and supported them. But the fear had gotten in their mind and created all of this evidence for them. Husbands and wives argue. Some of them even separate and divorce over really nothing but fear. They were so afraid that they would be abandoned or so afraid that their marriage was going to fail that they bought into all this false evidence that fear produced 
And then it caused them to change their behaviors and change their attitudes towards each other until, guess what? They divorced. The fear caused you to do the very thing you were afraid was going to happen in the first place. It's no wonder President Roosevelt said in the 30s that we have nothing to fear but fear itself. It's a self-propelled machine when it's allowed to do its thing. Or to the other extreme, fear can cause leaders who need to make a decision to get frozen by fear. They can't choose. They they call it paralysis by analysis. You've studied this thing a thousand different ways. You've looked at it every different way. And and, and now you're just terrified to make a decision. You've not only not found a good choice, every choice you see is bad. Every choice you see is going to lead to disaster. Every choice looks like a sure failure. There are just as many, if not more, relationships and businesses and ministries and opportunities that have failed because no decision was made as there have been from bad decisions being made. Getting you frozen is just as effective as getting you to do the wrong thing to cause you to fail. And then when you allow the, uh, the, the fear to dictate your actions or your inactions in this case, then the last step in this cycle of fear takes care of itself. And that's where your fears are realized. You get to this stage, and what you've worried about happens. That's when you get to say, I knew he wouldn't go out with me. Oh, I knew I I would fail. I knew I wasn't smart enough. I knew I couldn't pastor that church. I knew I couldn't make a marriage work. I knew I wouldn't get that job. I knew I'd never find financial stability. I've never had anything. Why did I expect I'd ever have anything different? I knew I couldn't be happy for long. All of that. You've heard that come out your mouth before. And because the Bible says we have whatsoever we say, and because Jesus says as a man thinks in his heart, so is he, We see these things come to pass in our lives over and over and over again because that's what we truly believe. More than we believe God's Word, more than we believe His Spirit when He leads us and guides us and encourages us, we we believe the lies that fear tells us until we're stuck exactly where we've been for years with no hope of breaking out of the cycle of fear. And we find ourselves, just like Elijah, on the backside of the wilderness somewhere, hiding in a spiritual and emotional and relational cave, begging for God to take us home. What began as a thought, let me take you all the way back to the beginning now, it began as a thought, just a seed of an idea. But the cycle watered itself. And it fed itself. And it caused itself to grow. And there was nothing there at the beginning but a thought. But it moved from step to step to step to reality on the power that we gave it. Until it became a stronghold in our lives. A paradigm. A way of seeing the world and thinking about the possibilities and the obstacles. Everything gets filtered through this cycle of fear, until we're too afraid to reach for anything else, to reach for anything more. And you find yourself stuck. 
But if you will listen this morning, just like Elijah, standing at the edge of that cave, there's a voice calling. There's a voice calling. And it's still, and it's small, and it's quiet, but it is calling nonetheless. And it's telling you the truth about your fear. It's telling you, I haven't given you a spirit of fear. That, that spirit isn't from me, and it's not of me. What comes from me is power to break out of your rut. What comes from me is power to take authority over your thoughts and your emotions. What comes from me is unconditional, never-ending, never-failing love that lets you know you're never alone and never helpless and never hopeless. What comes from me is a sound mind that can discern truth from lie, a mind that doesn't accept defeat, a mind that doesn't understand no when God has said yes and amen, a mind that doesn't get intimidated by a foe that doesn't have any weapons, a mind that recognizes that in this world we will have trouble, but that Jesus has overcome the world, a mind that recognizes that this life is going to be a fight, it's going to be a battle, but we have weapons of our warfare that are not natural, they're mighty and they're powerful and they're effective to pull down the strongholds of fear in our minds and to face those fears and to overcome those obstacles. If you'll listen, there's a voice calling to you today and it's telling you greater is He that's in you than he that's in the world that you can do all things through Christ who strengthens you, that when the enemy comes against you like a flood, the Spirit of the Lord will raise up a battle flag against him, that the enemy might come against you one way, but he has to flee seven ways. Can you hear the voice calling out to you today? Whose report will you believe? Will you believe the report of the Lord? He says, I'll never leave you, and I'll never forsake you. He said, my goodness and my mercy will follow you all the days of your life. That my rod and my staff will comfort you. They'll guide you and they'll protect you. That even if you walk through the valley of the shadow of death, you won't have anything to be afraid of because I own the mountains and I own the valleys. They belong to me. You don't have to worry about the storms and the wind and the rain and the earthquakes and the lightning and all of that stuff because they belong to me too. Listen, there's a voice calling out to you and He can speak peace into your storm even, though the, even if it's a storm of emotion and fear that's raging in your mind because the enemy wants to keep you from the blessings of God. He'll try to scare you. He'll try to intimidate you. He'll try to confuse you and defeat you and paralyze you because he knows that he has no authority over a blood-bought, born-again child of God. And the moment you realize that the cycle of fear runs on the strength that you give it, you can starve your fear, feed your faith, and be victorious. We don't have to be afraid because God has given us the victory this morning. You say, I want a great relationship, but I'm afraid I'm not enough. I want to have a great team of employees, but, but I, I'm afraid to have that difficult conversation that I need to have. I want to have a great job, but I'm afraid, I'm afraid I won't get it and I'll be embarrassed. 
I want to walk in peace, but I'm afraid something's going to happen that's out of my control. I want to be used by God in ministry, but I'm afraid I'll just mess everything up. What does God say every time He shows up in the Bible? Do not be afraid. Why? Because I am with you. Everything you want, everything God has promised you, is on the other side of your fear. It's time to press through the fear and go get what God has promised you. Won't you stand with me today? Listen, next week we're going to talk about how to overcome the fear cycle. We're going to look at David, see how he handled his opportunity to fear. But here's the truth today. In this life, we're going to face Jezebels. We're going to face giants. And they're going to try their best to put us into this cycle of fear. But God has made a way for us to dethrone the tyrant of fear in our lives. And it starts with recognizing it as it happens. You can stop the cycle of fear at any point. You can stop it at any point. But the earlier you stop it, the better. Because otherwise, you're wasting all of your valuable time in this cycle that will never lead you where God wants you. So we've got to learn to recognize it put it to a stop. We pray that you've been blessed and inspired by today's Covenant Living broadcast with Pastor John Butler. You can hear today's message in its entirety by visiting our website at covenantlifewestga.org. You can find this video there on our homepage. Just click the YouTube button and make sure you subscribe to our YouTube channel. Give us a call at 770-537-3747. That's 770-537-3747. At Covenant Life, our mission is to go and make disciples by being real, relational, and reaching. Be sure to join us next week for more Covenant Living with Pastor John Butler.